really you're in a race with yourself yes. really at yeah. the end of the day you know yeah. it's not really about anyone else and you can lie to yourself and pretend that it's and at my greatest concern I don't think I'll ever be satisfied I really don't hi you're listening to at home in the mind with me Vika this podcast was originally going to be called On the Road in the Mind, as in February, I set off to spend the last two years of my 20s travelling the world. Two years, however, quickly turned to seven weeks as the world plummeted into crisis following the coronavirus pandemic. For me, this was a huge loss, not only because discovering the world has been something I've always wanted to do, but also because I have come to believe it essential for my mental health. Much of my 20s was spent only looking out for others, totally neglecting myself in the process, as I have slowly been re-emerging and gaining self-awareness, talking to friends and family, I have realized that everyone at some point or other in life deals with major or minor mental health issues. Now that billions around the world are stuck in their homes, many unsure how to cope in isolation, I decided to invite some for a chat to talk through current or past issues and resolutions. My hope is that by sharing these conversations, someone suffering miles away will feel less alone and better able to help themselves. The more we know, the better we can equip ourselves with the tools we need to heal and seek help. Welcome to the eighth episode of At Home in the Mind. It's extremely windy here today. I think the wind speed was listed at 40 miles per hour or something crazy like that on BBC. So that means that I'm speaking to you from the safety of my little home. My eighth guest is the extremely talented, kind, generous and humble Sebastian D'Souza. Seb is a writer, musician and actor who you can currently watch in BBC's Normal People, Hulu's The Great and in the Medici series, which is now on Netflix. I encourage you to watch his stellar performances, as well as visit his Instagram page, which is filled to the brim with his artistic talent. Seb incredibly generously spent two hours chatting away with me about anything and everything, which, given the breadth of our discussion, was very hard to condense into 40 or so minutes. I'm so grateful to him, not only for his time, but for his readiness to be so open and vulnerable. In the spirit of openness and vulnerability, stick around for the end of the episode for an admission that I should and want to share with you. But for now, I'm sure that you're dying to hear from Seb and quite right too. So let's start, shall we? Seb, welcome to the show. Hi, Vika. Thank you so, so much for giving up your time like this. I'm so grateful and honoured that you come to my little show. You're incredibly generous. I have absolutely nothing to do, and this is the most gorgeous and heavenly invitation. So thank you very much for having me on your show. You look like you're in your attic or something. Yes, Uh, yes, yeah, you know what, I am in my attic. Usually people just comment, you're very observant. People usually don't get that far. They just say it's a very stripy room. But I am in my attic. I'm living in lockdown with my parents in Mm -hmm. the house that I grew up in. And it's been really lovely. And this has sort of become, I think I've rather co-opted it as my space to work in. Very important. I didn't ask permission. They've been very kind and generous, but perhaps they don't like it. I think they do. It's fine. I think it's nice for us all to be together. How are you finding being at home? Because I noticed that you wrote a book and then are doing a podcast called Stuck which seems very apt for this time. 
Well, you're very kind to yeah. Gosh, you've really I didn't you've you looked looked me up looked it up. I, well, I follow you I, on Instagram. Oh right, <laughs> so. well there we go. Well, I'm very, yes, okay, so there it is. I'm, right there, you will have found it there. Well, what happened was, if you would like to know, is that I came a week for Boris Johnson. I was about to say officially locked the country down. Yeah, I, I don't really feel like he ever sort of actually did which yeah. is part of the problem. Yes. But he, anyway, a week before that speech, the famous speech that we all now remember, and, you know, it was very, I think he likes, probably likes to look back on it as his Churchillian moment. Anyway, here we are. And that was, that was a week before, and I sort of, I like to say, although I think I'm giving myself far too much credit, that I sort of saw it coming. Mm-hmm. And what struck me as odd when I left London, I said, you know, I feel like it's all getting a little strange and actually hypochondriac that I am. Perhaps I'd rather be in the countryside, etc. And also, I, I really like being here because for obvious reasons, I feel incredibly lucky to be able to walk outside and be in the green, yes. etc. Yeah. And anyway, so I came down here, then things got locked down and a few weeks went by and I started to sort of, I, I write a little bit very badly, but that's what I spend a lot of my time doing. And I sort of started to think this is such a mind-blowingly once-in-a-lifetime situation. I have to, you know, and a bit like all actors, and you know, I'm an attention seeker. So I sort of, thought, I, I, I thought I, I have to, well, at first I sort of wanted to just write down, scribble down my thoughts because the strangest things were happening, as you know, because yeah. you're in a village, strangest things happen in villages in lockdown. You know, there are ladies WhatsApp groups and there are, <laughs> and the thing that, I mean, it's hilarious that, you know, and then there, there are dogs go missing and, and bread making becomes the most talked about thing. And it's all very, it felt so, like I was living in a sitcom and yeah. so I thought well I'll I'll sort of write my own sitcom and I did but then what happened was I found sorry this is such a long story found, no, I love I want to hear it I want to hear oh, it thanks Fika well I will stop talking in a sec but I, no. I found that I was writing this story and then I did three episodes but it was really becoming like situation comedy and then I introduced a character called Lucy into George Eldridge's life. Uh, George is the young man who comes and gets accidentally isolated with his crazy old parents. <laughs> Not at all. Not based oh, on you and your Not parents based on at anything. all. <laughs> well, George, George, George is a lot, a lot younger and a lot, and they're, and they're all a lot crazier. But still, okay. lots of inspiration everywhere. But this girl Lucy arrived in Little Lockage, is the village in which my story is set, and I started to think about the different possibilities for George and Lucy and for the village. And, and, and more and more stuff started to happen with my parents and I, and there were more dynamics developing and things were, and seasonal changes were happening. But I thought, actually, this is a story. And if I carry on doing a podcast, mm. all I'm going to do is I'm going to play to the crowd and I'm not going to write a proper story. I'm mm. just going to do little scenes. So I've decided to stop doing the podcast, which I'm sure everybody is incredibly pleased about and relieved to hear. But I don't I'm writing the book. <laughs> so there it I is. I think people are more pleased to hear that it's for because a book is coming <laughs> therefore more content <laughs> people demand sorry. content <laughs> just always just have to <laughs> I did write solidly for about two years and that came with its own 
problems because then you deal with loneliness and anxiety mm-hmm. and you don't really understand that that's what you're going through because you're like, I've got, this is my job. This is what I do. And everyone else has their own jobs and I should just get on with it. And there's no one to tell you you're feeling this way because you're not in a team, right? You're, you're just yeah. by yourself. So, so you're, you're with your own thoughts, with your own harsh criticisms because we're our worst critics. So you're with a person who's not necessarily kind to you <laughs> a lot of the time. And then you can't really explain to others why you don't feel good because you feel like you're taking the piss and indulging yourself by writing this thing. Yeah, it's a very odd thing, isn't it? And I I think you you couldn't have have put it better myself. I think it's just in lockdown, it's interesting because I found I can't stop, quote unquote, creating. Now, I'm not saying that I'm writing. No, 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 it's actually not. I'll tell you why. (laughs) Because this is how I live my life. And I'm beginning to realize because I'm so, I'm a very usually social person and there isn't really ever a day in London where I don't see a friend yes. for, for, for a walk or for a, a beer or whatever, you know, a meal. I usually am seeing someone every day. Here I see my parents, obviously, but it's different for obvious reasons. And it's been very odd because the endless arable abyss of my day sits before me every morning and something happens in my brain where you know I'm writing some 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 bits and pieces and I'm doing this that and the other and I'm preparing for other things where from the moment I wake to the moment I sleep I can't stop because I feel like if I stop and I've heard other people talk about this on podcasts lately it's like this enormous guilt sets in but look at this time. Look at this. You know, no one's calling you. No one's asking you to go to an audition. No one's, you know, which is lovely, but can be distracting from all the crazy, ridiculous other stuff that I like to do. But look yes. at this, this time you've got. So, so make the most of it. But actually, I said this to my mom the other day. I'm steadily, well, not that steadily, pretty quickly <laughs> driving myself completely insane, I have to say. And I know I, I, that's rather glib of me to say, especially given the topic of this conversation, but I do mean it when I say it's, I love what I'm doing. I love writing. I love thinking all the time. I love creating new worlds. I love writing music. I love all, doing all these things. But I've realized that when you're not working with anyone else, you're not even sending something to an editor. You're not even talking to an agent. You're not, it's, yeah. it is literally you and, as you say, your thoughts. It's really frightening well, my here's my thing, and here endeth the sermon. My thing is, <laughs> you're in a very you're in a very healthy and beautiful relationship. I know. I hope you won't mind me saying that. But I worry that I'll never be in one. I think, oh my god, how are you going to be able to be in a proper relationship when you can't switch off? You, how are you going to be able to go have dinner with your partner at night, go to bed with them, love them, commit to their lives. I'm just constantly creating these crazy sci-fi universes and living in them. And it's ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. It really isn't. I'm not going to say I'm a relationship expert or anything, but I think it's all about, yeah, I guess there are things people need to work through. And when that space is there to introduce someone into your life, then ultimately that person will appear. But if your focus, if your priorities are elsewhere, then perhaps that might not happen. And if it does yeah. happen, then it probably won't be the right time because you won't be able to do all the things that you that you say. But but a lot of the times, I think I'm right in saying it's anxiety that does this because it's what it does to me. But but it makes you feel as if the decisions that you make right now or the way that you feel right now is going to be the same for the rest of your life. When actually mm-hmm. life is very long 
and you sort of roll with the punches as you go along. You can't control what life does. And so to say that you'll be alone forever is is bollocks, really. Because <laughs> you, you don't know what life is going to show. You should charge for this, darling. I mean, you could make hundreds of thousands of pounds a year. This is fabulous. I'm firing my therapist. Um, this is great. I, can I come back every week? Can we do this yes, every week? Yes, please. <laughs> no, well, that's incredibly, incredibly useful. And that is so true, I guess. Thank you. It's, it's a realisation that you sort of... Like no, I just know what those I just know what those voices are like. So I'm just trying to tell them to shut up to tell yours to shut Thank up. Thank you. They can hear you. They can hear you. But it must be also quite difficult for you to transition from, as you say, being around people all the time, especially doing film and, and TV and at the moment, you can see the fruits of your labor on TV everywhere, it seems, with, <laughs> with normal people. And, and Well, listen, when you're an extra, you can, you can do a lot of work in a year. So, yeah. so yes, you, there, there's a lot of background artistry going on on television. Don't say that. You were, you were brilliant in that. And I'm particularly excited to actually watch The Great when I get around to it, because as a Russianist, I'm always on the lookout. Well, of course. <laughs> I think you might be a bit upset because it's total, it's, the history <laughs> is, is completely inaccurate. I mean, it's wonderful, and I, I'm very proud to have been a little part of it, but it is, it is only occasionally. You, you're already in my favour, so the fact that none of the cast did weird Russian accents, that's, <laughs> that's already good. <laughs> We've already got your vote. Okay, good. <laughs> um, I'm glad. But going from being in such team working productions like TV and film and theatre, mm. the transition by yourself, that must be difficult. And also, I was wondering what you thought of the future of TV, film and theatre. I'm very, very worried and deeply concerned about the whole thing. I think it's important to separate, actually, theatre, live entertainment from yes. from recorded entertainment. And I think TV and film will, will survive. I think TV will thrive eventually when we can work out how to make shows in an AC world, an after-corona world. Yes. You know, yeah. I don't know how that's going to look because until there's a vaccine, which is the same for every department of work, I suppose, but big shows or little shows, any shows, they all have to be insured. And I don't know how anyone is going to insure a production that if one person goes down, it could be anyone, you know, I mean, it could be any, 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 because it is such a, as you say, it is such a team effort. One person goes down, then everyone has to stop. I mean, I just don't see why if I was, I mean, I could barely add one and one, but if I were a mathematician, (laughs) those odds wouldn't look good. So that is worrying, but I'm just more sad and worried about live art. And I wish I did more theatre. I have not done any theatre really since I was at school. And it's a great shame to me because it's my first love really, but that's the way things have gone. Anyway, but I have many great friends who spend lost their time on stage and Apart from anything else, it's their, it's their living, you know, and it's it's the living of, of the ushers, it's the living of the box office tenants, yeah. it's the living of the stage managers. And it's a massive community of people that can't start again in earnest until there's a vaccine and they'll try and start again before. But I'm just very concerned that the experience of going to the theatre will be so... Stressful. Yeah, 
And they won't be able to fill houses completely because of very obvious social distancing reasons. And I don't know what it looks like. I think streaming platforms are going to have, like Jeff Bezos, you know, Ted Sarandos of Netflix, they're all going to do terrifically well out of it. And that's great. But going to the cinema, not so much theatre and live art, I worry about. We'll get back. We'll do, don't yeah. worry. We will. Yeah. We will. And there'll be a vaccine and then we'll, we'll, it'll be like nothing before. I mean, it'll be a splurge. I'm just so excited. But I'm so worried for my friends because you asked me, how is it being on your own after working all the time in a team? Well, no, I work once a year. You know, I don't work all the time as an actor. That's why I write, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I'm quite used to this. I'm actually quite used to this solitary time. But I was lucky that I had a job that literally we wrapped the great in February. I mean, we was must have been one of the last shows to finish. Mm-hmm. So I had a chunk of work. I had a wage. I'm now able to hunker down. And But as I do, you know, I work very frequently. My friend Andy has a building company. And when I'm not working, I'll go and work for him as a laborer. You know, and that's how I make ends meet. Mm-hmm. But my mates who are bartenders, when they're not active, they can't do any of it. Yeah. So it's really scary. Sorry to be, that's quite unlike me to be so... um... It's the truth. And I think a lot of people take for granted how much the arts are going to struggle in this, Mm. especially live shows. The live industry is going to struggle. And Carlos in a previous episode highlighted that, you know, the government, the UK government in particular does not really support the arts whatsoever, unlike in Germany or I think he said Sweden. Especially because in this country, such a strange dichotomy that the government, well, this Tory government and, you know, does not support the arts in the way that that other governments in Europe do. And yet, it's about the only thing we export in this country. (laughs) It is literally the only thing we export. It's the only thing that makes money that we actually make here. I mean, it's crazy to me. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. We don't make cars. We don't do any, we don't have any industry. You know, I don't know any of the facts, but I don't think, I feel like that all went somewhere else. And that's fine. Great. Whatever. I'm not an economist. I don't know anything, but there's so much being made here. There's so many talented people writing, creating, all of the musicians, all of the, it's big business. Also from your Instagram as an avid follower. Oh, I, I saw, you. <laughs> what are you on about? I saw one of your posts where you spoke of having dealt with anxiety and loneliness. And mm-hmm. I wonder with all these added stresses, if those things have fled up for you again, or if new things have fled up. And if so, how have you managed any of or all of those things? Well, yes, I suppose, like I said, not an awful lot has changed for me because I am so lucky to have been able to be in quarantine here with my parents. That is the thing that has changed for me. And I just want to, just before we go into your very, very good and very important question, I want to say that actually, which is why I've decided to write the book instead of just doing this sitcom, is what I've realized is what I'm experiencing now, spending a prolonged period of time with my parents as an adult, is something that I never, ever 
ever would have experienced. I, it wouldn't have happened. I would never have spent two straight months with my parents. Not because I don't adore them, but it's just not, you know, it's just, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And so um, that is the, the main difference between lockdown and not lockdown, because a lot of the time when I'm not acting, I take myself off to the library mm-hmm. and I write every day, try to, as I'm sure you will attest to the fact that that's a lot of it is just staring at the piece yep. of paper, praying. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Praying and or crying. Um, or right out giving up. <laughs> or just giving up. Yeah, exactly. you're, you're more honest than I am. Yeah, just giving up. Yeah, quite right too. But the solitary confinement thing is something that I have had to do before and don't like but know about and can do. In terms of my anxieties and in terms of loneliness and things like that, my anxieties at the moment seem to be whether this is actually what they are or not, or whether this sure. is hiding sure. what they really are. They sure. seem to be connected to work and achieving at work and getting as much published as quickly as possible, getting as much content out there as quickly as possible. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? Not specifically as an actor, because I, I will be honest with you, I feel like things are okay as an actor at the moment. Although, let me be very clear, I don't remotely feel like I have reached whatever pinnacle that I, you know, at all in any way, shape or form. And actually neither do I ever think I will. And I think that that's a key point that maybe we can talk about later. So I'm mashing up all my words, but what I'm trying to say is a feeling in isolation. I'm very much more aware of the rat race or very much more concerned about the rat race than... That's interesting because... When I was in, well, you know, I've been freelance writing. I I see where you're coming from on that aspect. But my big difference is then I was very much aware of the rat race and comparing what everyone else was doing. And, oh, my God, these people already on uh, 50-figure salaries and uh, (laughs) I'm still doing this. And, uh, and, uh, oh, my, oh, 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 they're buying a house. And, uh, oh. I know, trust me. I know, yeah. All these things. But what I've enjoyed about lockdown is the knowledge that everyone is on pause, that Mm. no one can really move. (laughs) Because <laughs> there are limitations to our movements. And so I'm curious why you suddenly feel this rat race, why it suddenly struck you now when every, when the world seems to be on pause and taking a breath. Well, because it's a self-inflicted rat race that actually just takes place in my head. And that's probably the truth of it. Although you'd need to talk to someone much cleverer and much better at psychology than me. I think that... <sighs> I hear you and I agree with you. You know, you are aware that the whole world is on pause and no one can go to work. And I know I have a lot of friends that say to me, oh, it's heaven. I mean, it's heaven. I, I, just, you know, I know that nobody else is moving forward because they can't. Yes, you know? yeah. But I think when you do what we do, or, or I mean, when I, I try to very unsuccessfully, you really, you're in a race with yourself, yes. really, at yeah. the end of the day. You know, yeah. it's not really about anyone else. And you can lie to yourself and pretend that it's... And my greatest concern, I don't think I'll ever be satisfied. I really don't. And I think that is a massive problem. And it's going mm-hmm. to continue to be a massive problem. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think no, many, many people who create stuff they feel like that but you know it does make me think and then you start to question you know why do you write why do you really write do you write because you adore it because I tell myself I adore it and I do I like sitting down 
But I think, but you always so desperate to get to the end. So if you adored it so much, why why would you be so desperate to get to the end? The rat race you make for yourself and this urge to get to the end. I think that all comes from like an urge to prove yourself, right? Because society has a tendency to tell you, oh, this is what you've chosen. Oh, good luck. Right. Not everyone's successful, you know, not everyone's JK Rowling. Not everyone um, can do it. That's a bit tough, isn't it? It's not going to happen, is it? So there's this urge to be like, well, fuck you. (laughs) So then you're like, okay, roll up your sleeves. Let's finish this book as quickly as possible. Send it out. And Done. let the magic yeah. happen and let, let you know, yeah. all those people could do and it. And become J.K. Rowling. And become J.K. Rowling, you know. So I think, I think for me anyway, that comes into play a lot. And when I did my first ever edit that I was happy with, I sent it to the biggest literary agents, to the Hunger Games literary agent, to J.K. Rowling's literary agents, to all those people. And obviously it was rejected. And I read back those drafts and I'm like, you sent that? Are you mental? Right. What? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And yeah. uh I throughout... know exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my um... friend calls me first draft productions because literally it's full stop, bang, it's gone. To everybody. You know, everybody. The president's gone. You know? <laughs> I mean, honestly. Um, no, I think it's good to send it to a bunch of people to get, you know, to finally get that team aspect into play and get someone's objective thoughts onto it instead of your own. Because when you're too into too in something, you can't see, it's all foggy. You can't see anything. But for me, when I sort of calmed down about it all, obviously it depends day on day. There could be a day where I'm really really bothered by the fact that I'm not even in the rat race. I'm not even running. <laughs> there's right. no way. People are too far ahead. <laughs> Forget right. well. it. You know, so there's, there's times when I'm, obviously there are days when I get bothered by that. But I think I've learned that I am probably a tortoise and the tortoise wins the race in the end. And all that matters is that I put a little bit of work in every day. And I've ultimately, I know that if I push myself too hard or if I put myself in a position where my mental health is terrible, then there isn't anything I can do. So it's not actually worth my time to listen to the self-criticisms or to panic and be in the rat race or to drive myself to that condition because Mm -hmm. then I will completely stop and have to restart all over again. But I think that takes... That takes a lot of acceptance and acceptance is the most beautiful and yet the hardest thing to do. Because once you accept something, you are free of whatever has been bugging you and therefore you can move more freely and more calmly through anything that life throws at you. But to actually accept whatever it is that you're finding hard to accept and that you're fighting against and that you're worried about and that whatever else is extremely difficult. It's like that wonderful thing that John Lennon said which I think actually he probably nicked from someone else's <laughs> um, was that life is what happens whilst you're busy making other plans. And there's that song by Billy Joel called Vienna. I don't know if you've heard it, but it's captures beautifully. He goes, slow down, you crazy child. Vienna waits for you. But I think if you combine those two ideas of like, Vienna's waiting, you know, like, it's cool. Like, just, it's fine, chill. Yeah. But also you put on top of that this idea of like, Life is what happens where you're busy making other plans. You're going to be at 80 if you carry on saying that. It's just finding the sweet spot. Yes, uh, yes. Between those two things, you know. And I would like to say, just on the record, it's so bizarre because I know that if every single one of the crazy projects that I 
pour so much energy into and cry over and you know i'm so frustrated by and actually am i enjoying doing them i don't know but by the end of them you know that it'll all make sense well i know for a fact because i have very good evidence that i will now (laughs) relay to you that actually when it does come to pass whatever the thing is won't make me any happier Nothing will change. Yeah. And a lot of people talk about this in terms of money. For me, it's not really about money. For me, it's about just, you know, doing stuff, yeah. you know, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but but it's a very simple metaphor when you talk about money. You know, I know, I know people who are so rich beyond like rich as creases and they're not happy at all. Yeah. It's, it doesn't. And, and if they are happy, the money is not the thing that makes them happy. Yes, In fact, absolutely. it's the thing that gives them the most unhappiness and stress. Because when I was 16, if you had said to me, Seb, when you're 27 years old, you will have done X, Y, Z thing, and you would have been to these countries, and you would have met these people and had these conversations, and life will be this textured and rich, I would have said, that's bollocks. No, not possible. No way is that going to happen. And I would have said, I'll give you anything. I'll give, I'll give everything to have that. I would have said, I, I would give it to me now. Here I am, 27. I mean, I look back, I'm like, when I was 16, this is all I wanted. This is all I wanted and, and more, you know, and look, I don't, I, I very, really hope that I, I'm clear about how I, I don't feel remotely successful. I, I don't feel remotely, you know, like I've done anything particularly special. But when my 16-year-old self would say, are you fucking joking me? This is insane. And you know what? Do you know what my 16-year-old self really coveted? The stuff that he really wanted? It was living like an adult, going to Pret and buying his own coffee, <laughs> going to the pub and buying a pint. You know, walking down, I live in Shepherd's Bush, walking down Holland Park Avenue with yes. trees and the sun and going to the park with his friends and, and, you know, having girlfriends and like going and traveling alone and like being in cities and then add to that working in foreign places. That was, it was all stuff that like, it was small stuff, relatively yeah. small fry, getting yeah. a coffee. And still to this day, getting a coffee at pret a is what makes me the happiest, paying my own money to get yeah. that pret a yeah. But the difference is the stakes constantly get higher and higher and higher. And you're like, you just got to remind yourself, that actually, whether you're a billionaire or you have no money, the shit that really makes you happy and I do, I want to be clear that I'm not talking about material stuff because like, you know, the getting the coffee at pret a is is like, tantamount to kissing your girlfriend or you know that stuff sure 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 sure. shit that really makes you happy is free in essentially you know and we have these conversations and i'll say all of this and then i'll get off the (laughs) phone with you and i will tear my hair out for the next fucking 24 hours until i fall asleep crying in a ball over there why can't i get this chapter right why can't this end i want to publish this book i want to do yeah yeah oh it's you know so i think maybe the key is Having these chats, actually, which is why what you're doing is so, so important. And I'm so very grateful to you because actually these conversations need to be had all the time. Absolutely. Because there are saving grace. The thing you've expressed of you'll say all these things and you'll listen to your wonderful 16-year-old self who's supporting you and has got your back and is so happy for you during these conversations. And then as soon as this is over, you'll be in a corner crying. Me and my friend have have found this thing, this, this system that sounds a bit crazy, but it helps us. And so I want to, to see for you to try it, to see if it would help you. So we call our anxiety voices by a name that we don't like. 
So they are separate from us right. because it's usually an irrational thought or a really horrible criticizing thought. And and you know, like your your sixteen year old, your your whoever's you know whoever's you, whoever's actually inanely you, knows that it's bullshit and it's hurtful. And so by separating it into a different entity, it's easier to turn around and say, shut shut up. Because <laughs> when you feel that it's part of you, when you feel that it's it's all you, then it's harder to tell you to shut up because you think it's coming from you. Whereas when it's yeah. another person in the room, you can walk away, so to speak. Um, That's very, very good advice. And, and so just to give you the names, because they're quite funny. <laughs> Hers is called Derek because she just doesn't like that name. I'm sorry for any Dereks <laughs> out there. And and mine, oh, is, Derek. <laughs> no, and mine is called Jesh. Because it's the most ridiculous name I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and again, I'm sorry for any gestures out there. But <laughs> if you're real gestures as opposed to anxious voice yes. gestures, yes. we love you. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I just, I, whenever I hear that name, name, it makes me laugh because it's just such a, to me, I'm very sorry again, uh, it's, a, it's a hilarious name. I love the idea of watching you sort of walking through your garden, sort of saying, you know, like sort of like you got some kind of a tick. I love that idea. I shall have to come up with, yeah, yeah, what am I going to call my um, just Steve? Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I love for every Steve out there, I adore you. But, but yes, so, so I just find that helpful because then it's a separate person that you can ignore or reject instead of constantly being in with it in its bullshit prison. It's a very, very clever, clever piece of advice, and I will try that. Thank you. I know that this is a little bit different now, depending on whether you are taking the new government guidelines seriously or not or whether you are still in lockdown, so to speak. But what do you miss most about pre-isolation? Well, and just to be clear, I am still in lockdown and I am kind of sort of marching to the beat of my own drum yeah. on that one. What do I miss about pre-isolation? I really miss touching people. and th- I, just, I really miss that. And I know it yeah. sounds ridiculous to say. But I don't think sorry. it does. It's the truth. I really miss just, just hugging my friends Social distancing is is so important and is is our reality now and quite right too. But it, God, it feels I I can't tell, I, I actually I cannot bear to be walking the paths and the highways and byways of, of Berkshire and <laughs> and uh, and have to move. Yeah, I miss touch. Hugging is really important to me. I find that super super weird. What are you most grateful for during this time? And have you discovered anything that you hadn't previously? I would like to say that I am grateful for this time. That's what I am grateful for. I I have been inordinately lucky in where I have ended up, who I've ended up with. I am very grateful to have spent all this time with my parents and to have been able to spend really good, long amounts of time with them. And I am grateful for this reset. I know that it has caused irreparable, it has killed thousands of people, millions. You know, it is the most devastating thing that could ever have happened. But the time and the space, albeit sometimes difficult and anxious and with all those things, I am grateful for the pause button being pressed on my 
my life, just mine. I think a lot of people feel the same way. People are appreciating this time and, and this pause and they're realizing, oh, I don't actually need to be in the rat race all the time and as busy yeah. as I was and this is what I value. And I think a lot of people will want to see a societal shift where priorities change, whether that will happen, I don't know, but it'll be interesting. To yeah, see. well, you, you know, look, I, uh, I think we should be optimistic. I mean, every, lots of people say, oh, we'll just go straight back to normal. I don't think we will. I think that this is so fucking scary and this yeah. is so fucking heavy. I think that the people who are always going to just go back to normal are going to go back to normal. But the people yeah. who are thinking and feeling in a bit more considered way, I think, you know, will go back and say, God... Wow, that was, wow, that was really a lot. And let's yeah. work out why and how and what changes maybe we can make, as you say, based on what we've learned. We've learned a lot. And speaking of learning a lot, have you discovered mm -hmm. anything new during this time that keeps your spirits up? So this could be anything from, I don't know, I'm sure someone's discovered your Instagram page and it's lifted them up. Or, or someone's, you know, like a re like a regular thing, That's like so like you know, like my friend had this. He regularly tunes into Sophie Ellis Baxter's Instagram on a Friday night because she does this sort of family disco. Ah, is it is it a he good watches, thing to do? Yes, he's oh, fabulous. Or, oh, great. Well, I'll check it out. Yes, or, or Carlos says something a bit more philosophical, where he discovered that there is time in his day to relax. <laughs> he doesn't have to work all the time. Good for him. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Good for him. Um, how, I long, how I long to have that realisation. Yes. <laughs> Is there anything, any one of those things that you've discovered during this time that sort of keep your spirits up? I think I've rediscovered the utter unadulterated joy of the countryside and of nature. I go for like loads of walks. I never That's take lovely. my telephone with me. Yeah, so I, again, I'm incredibly blessed. I go for walks, I don't take my telephone. I, I've noticed seasonal changes which have really blown my mind that you never notice, even if you are living in the countryside perhaps and not in a city, you don't, mm -hmm. you don't have time to notice when the blossom arrives, how long it stays for, what it does when it stays, when it goes, you know. Yeah. You do, I mean, every day I walk and I walk through the same fields of wheat and things and I've just seen that it grow and grow and grow and grow. It's just extraordinary how the canvas of green changes. And I will just, just totally, it makes you feel very little. And actually, I find that quite reassuring. Me too. Yeah, little I find and that really insignificant. <laughs> yeah. The feeling of being little, for some reason, is such a comfort. A lot of people would, wouldn't agree, but I remember this one time I got into this anxious mindset and I was feeling out of breath and, you know, getting sort of panicky. And I sort of envisaged the universe and how little I was and then just thought to myself, you are dust. And I just completely calmed down immediately. <laughs> like, you're not important. You're just dust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And some yeah. people be like, oh my it's God, great. that's horrible. Why it's did great. you say that to yourself? That was the best thing I've ever said to myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, just, I'm just dust. <laughs> you're just dust. No, I get it, man. I fucking, I hear you. I know what you mean. And we're, it's also like that thing I, I think I mentioned on Instagram, one of my sort of rambling videos, was that I find it enormously reassuring that there's no way if there are 
how many people uh, has 7 billion people or 8 billion people yeah. in the world? Yeah. Right? A lot. <laughs> There's no way if there are that many people that you're alone in feeling what you're feeling right yes. now. That you're the only person who's felt this. And the being little thing is kind of attached to that. It's like you're just part of a big, big yeah. fucking thing that's going yeah. on. Like, it's all right. Like, yeah. everybody, this is life. Ride it. Ride that wave. Exactly. I'm no expert and like I don't prescribe any. It's what helps you and it's, or it's what you've come to. And that's what's important with dealing with your own stuff, really. And if magically this was all over, coronavirus was no longer a problem, what was the first thing you would do? Oh, I would like to see, I would like to go and spend a good few days maybe in a foreign country with my friends and hug them and hold them and be with them and, you know, have a party. I mean, I know it sounds silly, but I would have a big party and I would try and have it somewhere far away that we aren't going to be able to go to for a very long time because yeah. of coronavirus. I wanted to ask you since the beginning of this chat, actually, were you, was it at first devastating that you couldn't go on this extraordinary once in a lifetime trip that you were going to take? And then over time, have you come to find that actually it maybe was a, 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 a partly there were, there, it has been a lovely thing. I mean, how does how does it all feel to you? Do you feel cheated? Yeah, I was extremely devastated. And yeah, I do feel cheated. And, you know, Josh is in there saying, don't say what you're about to say because you're self-righteous or whatever. <laughs> Fuck off, Jess. <laughs> we don't like you and your kind here, Josh. Take, take it elsewhere, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to push through and ignore him. But uh, in my 20s, I, um, I'm i still in my 20s, but, but beforehand, <laughs> I uh, <laughs> had no boundaries. I spent a lot of time being overly empathetic and basically looked after others to an extent that, that was completely ignoring myself and my own well-being. So having come to a crossroads where I understood that and events took place that meant that I, that I could come to that crossroads and I could come back to myself and I was no longer needed in that capacity and I was able to put necessary boundaries up. I started reevaluating what it was that I have always yearned to do and that was travel the world and perhaps write about traveling the world. Right. And so feeling that I gave so much of myself to, to others all that time and the one ounce I wanted to give to myself just for the next two years to go traveling and give that gift to myself for that to be ripped away. Yeah. is devastating. And I, and I felt cheated, but as I've said before, I am content with how I'm dealing with this, this project, this podcast is a saving grace. I, I love doing it. I love talking to people. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to do. And then obviously being with Jamie, who I wouldn't have seen, definitely not as much in the next two years. Mm. You know, seeing him much more than we had planned is obviously yeah, wonderful. Yeah. But yeah, th that's the answer. I'm really sorry about that. But what, what I would say is it struck me when you were talking about it that you will go on the road. I mean, you will. It will happen. Whether it'll be in the same way or not, I don't know, but you will. And I think it'll be all the better for this time. I really, you know, I know that, and again, Jesh is now, now over here. Fuck off, Jesh. <laughs> Jesh, how have you, how have you got over here so quickly? 
Jess is on my shoulder now saying, you fucking self-righteous asshole. Shut up with you. I think, shut up with your Oprah shit. But you know what? You know what? I'm going to be Oprah. And I'm Go gonna for say, it, hey, Seb. Be Oprah. Yeah, yeah I'm going to be Seb. Oprah now. You know what, Vika? You'll get out on the road and it will be better than it ever could have been for having this time. All right? That is what I'm going to say. Thank you. And I'm going to check. You under have my... an iPhone. You yes. have an iPhone. You have an iPhone. I was about to say, I was going to check under my seat for a car or something. <laughs> I like the idea that in the Oprah studio, the seats are so big that they can fit all cars underneath them. That's good. <laughs> Who knows? Oh, Who knows? Well, they might have to be, actually, if she's like restarting the social distancing thing, they might have to make. I think you're right. You're right. Yeah, God, yeah. <laughs> okay, and the final question. What is your number okay. one survival tip being in lockdown for dealing with mental health in this time? Okay, well, I think my number one survival tip would probably be one that I try to practice what I preach, but I'm going to be honest with you, and it's really tough to practice what I preach. Mm-hmm. But it's to just give yourself a break, always. Like, not just like a little bit, just give yourself a break because I mean, if I mean, most people aren't able to work right now. And so like, if you're feeling low and you're feeling anxious and you're feeling, you know, and you're feeling like that because you're not giving yourself a break. Now is the time. Now is yeah. the time to give yourself a break. And look, we've just done two hours together where I've told you how much, how little of a break I'm giving myself. But I know that when I do, and by the way, a break doesn't mean sitting in front of the TV because in fact, that makes me more anxious than anything. I mean, a break sure. as in like, just know that you're a good dude and like it's all good it's all fine everything is working as it will work and the only thing you can control are the reactions to your reactions to situations yeah yeah to add to the give yourself a break thing is like practice what you preach (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know do that shit that you know in your heart of heart will help I'm so grateful to you. Thank you so, so much for coming on and for spending two hours chatting to me. It's uh, been heaven. I mean, God, Jesus. I mean, you maybe you should have more actors who have no one and nothing to do and no one to talk to because, I mean, it's a good one. They, I mean, they will talk. That's this, this is evidence of that. They will fucking talk. The hind legs of a donkey. <laughs> That's the end of the eighth episode. Isn't Seb one of the kindest people you'll ever meet? I think we can all deeply relate to his unwavering self-unsatisfaction as we constantly reach for that something that will fill the void or finally make everything right. And as a writer, it was lovely for me to exchange notes on the trials and tribulations that come from facing a blank page on an ever-glaring and judgmental computer screen. Given these struggles, I'm so glad for him that he is in a beautiful place with his parents, surrounded by love there, and in the media at the moment, after his most recent role as Leo on The Great. He really deserves all the praise that is coming his way, and I can't thank him enough for taking all that time to talk to me. You may or may not have noticed a change from previous episodes in the way I spoke and interacted. Either way, as this is a mental health podcast, I feel that it is important to tell you that when I had this chat with Seb on Monday, I was suffering with acute anxiety. Not only did I schedule the chat with Seb that day, but I was doing the live fundraiser in the evening. I had to prepare for my new job, which was starting the next day. And my old job had gotten in touch with me about a potential task to do for them. As someone with social anxiety and, let's face it, fear of letting people down slash failing... 
all this was a recipe for a nervous wreck. For me, it manifests itself in tight chestness, shortness of breath, fidget fidgetiness, however you say that word, and apparently, as I discovered to my hilarity slash horror whilst editing this podcast, an unnerving manic laughter. I don't know how I didn't scare Seb away, I hope that it didn't scare you away, and I hope that by me saying this, someone out there who also suffers with anxiety can feel less alone. So, not only do I want to thank Seb, but I also want to thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in and sticking with me throughout this process. You don't know how much it means. Thank you. Let me know what you took away from this episode on my Instagram page, the link to which is in the description below. And if you are suffering from any of the issues raised in this episode, there are also links in the description to help. With the announcement that even the Globe Theatre is at risk of shutting down, I've also included below a link to donate to UK's live venues, and we'll try to find a time to do a live fundraiser to the cause when my anxiety has settled. Tune in next week as I talk to Matt, an algorithm engineer in Michigan, USA, who I met whilst volunteering in Puerto Rico. We'll discuss all things mental health and the current lockdown situation in the US. Finally, as always, I want to thank my sister, Jenya, for the logo, constant support, and general ideas woman that she is. I also want to thank my fiance, Jamie, for composing the theme tune, adding that all-important final touch to the audio, and for being the brilliant ideas man that he is. You can discover more of their talents on their Instagram pages, links in the description below. And of course, thanks to Seb for generously devoting some of his free time to this little show. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and that you'll join me again next week at home in the mind. Mm-hmm.